What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes. Our full episodes are video format as well as podcast. And uh, it takes some time to film those and edit those and, and do all that dopeness. So in between those full episodes, we drop these passing periods where it's just Jeff and myself. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And we use this time to check in on some stories that perhaps we didn't discuss in our most recent full episode. And actually, our most recent full episode featured the uh, super dope guest presence of Anne-Marie Francois, Dr. Anne-Marie Francois, who is the executive director of UCLA Center X. And of course, that conversation focused on schooling for democracy, especially in the face of all these attacks on our democracy and democratic schooling. And that super dope guest is going to be moderating a discussion this week with the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, as well as the Dean of UCLA School of Education and Information Studies, Christina Christie. So if you are interested in seeing our most recent guest be part of this discussion with the governor of California and the Dean of UCLA School of Education, they're going to be discussing neurodiversity and K-12 education, ensuring equity in learning for all children. So if you're interested in hearing this conversation and seeing what the governor has to say about his own experience as a dyslexic learner, uh, look at the blurbs below this and we'll have a link to the RSVP there. Of course, we're not affiliated with this event, but uh, we do want to shout out our ALTA family, uh, in this case, Dr. Francois, who is um, going to be part of this conversation. It should be a dope conversation. It's going to be on Wednesday, January 26th at five o'clock Pacific time. So we'll put the link to the uh, Zoom registration down below. And if you're interested in following along with that conversation about neurodiversity, uh, definitely tap in, tap in. It should be good, should be good. Uh, Jeff, look at us. Look at us having these dope guests who go on from our show to have conversations with just the governor of the most populous states in the union. Pretty dope, right? Pretty dope. Yeah, man. Gotta love it. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's just, it's one of the more gratifying things, I think, uh, Manuel, about doing the show is uh, just seeing how many amazing people we get a chance to connect with, collaborate with, and, uh, you know, as they go on and do even more brilliant, amazing things uh, than they did before, which, <laughs> which was already amazing, which is why we had them on the show, uh, yeah. you know, it just, it just feels good to, uh, to know that, you know. These are uh, great people doing great things in the world of education. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, folks. Well, Jeff, um, you know it's been a week. It's been a month, really. Each <laughs> it's been each week since we've been back, months or whatever. Definitely feels like two it. months, or I, I lost count. <laughs> yeah, definitely feels like it. Like I, you know, I'm happy to report that at least attendance at my school site has gotten a little bit better. I think last time we spoke about schooling in the age of Omicron, uh, I had about like a third of my students who were actually present, um, sometimes less than that. So I'd have certain periods where like six kids would trickle in and it's like, where's the whole rest of the class? Like they're all at home, either because of contact tracing or because their uh, family didn't feel safe sending them into uh, in-person schooling. And this week, things got a bit better. So I would say from at least going off of yes, yesterday was Friday. So my classes yesterday were probably about like 70, maybe even 75% present, which felt like a lot. So I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I guess I'm not feeling as ragged today as I was last time we recorded a uh, passing period. But how's your week? Uh, well, first of all, Manuel, I'll say uh, congrats, man. Glad, glad that attendance is coming back up for you and for the students um, yeah. and folks are for, healthy enough to make that happen. Um, I would say things in, in the schools that I work with are not yet rebounding <laughs> to, that, to that place. Pockets of it, yes, but other pockets of we're still, you know, we're definitely still in the Omicron wave right now. Um, and you know, so it's, it's a precarious time, right? Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are still getting sick. There's a lot of teachers still out. There's a lot of, uh, students and families, uh, still out. And, um, and as a society, we have not made any decisions to actually care for people, uh, during this time. So folks are, are facing some difficult choices. Like, you know, do I go to work or do I, keep my kid home and quarantine, you know? Um, yeah. So 
it, it still feels very much uh, <laughs> like we are in it on uh, on this end. But um, there's there's some new policy coming, which I think we're gonna lovingly call uh, the ostrich uh, policy, which is you know if we stick our head in the sand. Won't be no problems. <laughs> so, hey, you know. I ain't seen nothing. I don't know open. nothing. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much been the official approach of these United States of America. Um, I saw a headline this morning about the NFL no longer test requiring testing for unvaccinated players. It's pretty much like if you feel symptoms, speak up and say something, then you'll get your test. So, you know, NFL players, they're obviously, especially in the playoffs, going to be real quick to say like, oh, I, I feel some symptoms. Maybe I shouldn't play in this giant game yeah. that has yeah. so many implications. Like, so yeah, that ostrich principle of like, you know, I ain't seen nothing, I heard nothing. Yeah, that's pretty much the uh, official official policy that we're rolling with. I, I At my school site, like we still don't require tests for students or for staff unless they of course, are feeling symptoms. So it's a whole lot of just, um, yeah, honor system. We could call it that maybe, honor system. And that's probably not the smartest way to go about it, but that's where we're at. Yeah, it's a di dishonor system, if you ask me. But <laughs> Dishonor system, uh, I like that. <laughs> you know, this is where we are, man. We've reached this point of the pandemic where... Uh, where the crazy things that Trump said two years ago are now just like bipartisan accepted policy. So yeah, and a uh, quick you know not to not to take us off of that, but um, I just realized that I don't think I've ever seen a photograph or a video of an ostrich actually dipping its head into the sand. Do they really do that? And if so, why do they do that? That seems like a very vulnerable position for any any animal to be in. Yeah. I think it might be one of those things that we like made up that's like sort of <laughs> sort of close to reality, but not really reality, you know, like maybe they okay. forage for insects or something. Uh, oh, that know, would that make way. sense. Oh, gotcha. But, but we, we got some science teachers out there who probably teach a unit on this or something. So let yeah, us let us know, man. For sure. DMs are open. <laughs> yes. Got to get to the bottom of this ostrich yes. situation. <laughs> well, Jeff, aside from the pandemic and, and all that... I'm sure all the rest of the news out there is pretty good news. So I I don't really know if we have much to talk about this this episode of Passing Period because all I see is a uh, sunny skies out there. So um, I don't know. Are we maybe done here? Or I, I don't know if there's anything <laughs> that you want. We could talk about Abbott Elementary. I could talk about that all day. I love that show. But you know, otherwise, I still you haven't know. watched. I still haven't watched. Oh, come on, man. I'm bad at watching live television unless it's sports. But to be I honest, I don't watch it live. Uh, like. DVR, I don't, Hulu, I don't whatever. have Hulu. I don't have Hulu. It's only on Hulu, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you have a laptop, Hulu.com, but, you know. Do you have to okay. pay? If it's free, I'll watch it. But I'm, I already have too I, many I, services, I, man. I'm paying for this and that and this and that. And I'm like, I quit cable for a reason. So I stopped paying for all these ridiculous things. And now I'm paying as much as I did for cable. So uh, I'm, I'm sounds like of, excuses, man. But okay, okay, fine. Fair, yeah, fair enough, fair oh. enough. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> you can let me know how it works out. <laughs> so, is there anything else out there for us to talk about, or or are we good in the world of education? You know, we had to scrape the bottom of the barrel this week, uh, Manuel, for for just a, just a you know just a little story out of uh, out of the little sunshine, the sunshine state. Uh, is Florida, Florida's the Sunshine State, right? Is it? Or right, is it California? Is California the Sun? I don't know. We're the Golden State. <laughs> right, the Golden State. Yeah, Florida's the Sunshine State. I, I got that right. Um, so, you know, just a little tiny story you might have heard of coming out of Florida. And, uh, you know, people who know something about Florida know that it's a, you know, it's, it's a land of really thoughtful, uh, you know, um, concerned political leaders who, who really have the welfare of the people in mind, as you know, um, including one state senator, Manny Diaz. Yeah, we're putting you on blast today, Manny Diaz, Republican of Miami. OK, just just soak that whole phrase in for a moment, uh, who uh, sponsored uh, <laughs> uh, SB 48. 
uh, Senate Bill, or excuse me, SB 148, Senate Bill 148, um, to protect, quote, individual freedoms and prevent discrimination in schools and the workplace. And I'm sure more than a few folks done heard about this monstrosity of a law, which is uh, expected to be passed and signed into law by uh, the state of Florida's wonderful governor, Ron DeSantis. Um, and this, this bill uh, is just a straight up white nationalist fascist law um, in, in the form of many that we have seen at the local level and in some other uh, places at the state level as well. Um, but it does a range of things, Manuel. Uh, one of the things it does, and probably the thing that you heard the most about this week, is that it uh, protects uh, people. Now we all know by people in in the in the in the very Mitch McConnell way Mitch of McConnell people. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> it protects Americans <laughs> from feeling discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race. Non-binary folks need not apply. So, uh, you know, th this really is one of those laws that's part of this uh, kind of, um, is, is cacophony the right word? A, 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 <laughs> a collection, a loud, noisy, obnoxious collection of uh, of laws being passed around the country or attempted to be passed around the country, um, you know, uh, really outlawing an honest teaching of American history, really enshrining a white supremacist uh, construction of American history, uh, and putting into place this law is is unusual in that it allows for a redress of grievances uh, for ostensibly white people and white adjacent people um, who would be subject to an honest teaching of American history, an honest grappling uh, with the facts of history, which is America was one of the great slave societies. America was founded on uh, genocide and, and uh, colonialism uh, of indigenous folks. America, you know, uh, completely erased the democratic citizenship of women for, you know, multiple centuries, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it is saying that essentially you can't teach these things. And if you do, and it causes folks to have some discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race, that there could be some consequences for folks, right? Um, and this bill would be set to go into effect July 1 of 2022, okay? So, um, like most of these other laws we've, we've profiled uh, in other episodes on the show, Manuel, you know, one up in New Hampshire that we went through in, in pretty great uh, detail um, that, you know, allows people to, like, submit letters to the state attorney general to, like, investigate people teaching critical race theory or whatever, um, you know, this this law is dressed up in the sort of ornamentation of equality and liberty and freedom and justice and all this kind of stuff. Right. But what it, it's very clear what it is actually about, which is, uh, you know, protecting a, a racist construction of, of America's past. It also co-ops uh, in very much the way that um, Dina Simmons has, has, I think, so eloquently put um, that social emotional learning has been uh, both weaponized by folks, uh, you know, coming from the right, but also now co-opted to, to enshrine into law what, what she would call white supremacy with a hug. So it talks about, you know, the teaching, uh, the instruction of life skills that must build confidence, support mental and emotional health, and enable students to overcome challenges, uh, and then list things like self-management, uh, decision-making, resiliency, uh, relationship, and conflict resolution. So this is really like, hey, you know, black and brown kids, we're going to teach you this racist history with racist educators and racist tests and, um, you know, teach you to hate yourself and prop up 
matter. And if, if you feel some type of way about it, we're going to need you to develop some grit so that, so that you can deal effectively with your oppression uh, while, while you're forced, right, compulsory attendance at school for seven hours a day. Okay. So, uh, Manuel, this, this, I mean, this bill is uh, deeply offensive on basically every level. Um, it uh, specifically says, last thing I'll say before I let you uh, wax eloquently about this, specifically it says, quote, examples of theories that distort historical events and are inconsistent with state board of ed approved standards include the denial or minimization of the Holocaust. Of course, they got to throw that in there like they like Jewish people. They, they were just shouting, Jews will not replace us last week. OK, <laughs> but of course, obligatory. You got to put that in right. there. Um, the teaching of critical race theory, meaning the theory that racism is not merely the product of prejudice, but that racism is embedded in, in American society and its legal systems in order to uphold the supremacy of white persons. Okay, then goes on to say you can't use the 1619 Project. Shout out to Cole Hannah-Jones. So, you know, Manuel, th this is, this is, a, this is a, a Jim Crow piece of legislation right here. Uh, and it is both like funny in how ridiculous it is and also like deeply deeply concerning so uh i mean what what do you got to yeah. say here man well i mean where to even begin with this where to even begin first of all i will admit i i was a little confused when i first saw this headline because i thought florida already passed its like anti-crt bill or or whatever like you know there's 20 Whatever the number is now, 26, 27, 28 states that have passed some form of anti-CRT legislation. So I thought Florida already did. And maybe it did. And maybe this is like some fine print on that. I do remember back in like a month or two ago, there was like all this this big press conference and all that uh, in Florida where the governor introduced his, uh, I think, it, the Stop Woke Act or something stupid like that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember that. Like, So I'm like, is, is this the Stop Woke Act or is this separate or, you know, like... Are they are they passing multiple like are they basically hitting all corners all angles with multiple pieces of legislation so that that was my confusion early on not that that matters my confusion doesn't matter because the the point is the same the point is of course to uphold the legacy of white supremacy uphold the status quo uphold a whitewash uh, version of history that thereby will indoctrinate even more folks into thinking America is this exceptional place that is free of any uh, lingering sin of slavery and oppression and all these things. And that is the true indoctrination. I mean, we've been indoctrinating kids in our school system for decades, for decades. I myself was indoctrinated in the school system for my almost my entire, almost my entire education until I finally was able to uh, reach some some real stuff in college and, and particularly in grad school. So we've been doing that. And you have to think like if any other nation, particularly if um, China, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, any of these countries that uh, right leaning folks love to point to as examples of like oppression and, and fascism and totalitarianism, if they pass stuff like this, like Republicans will be all over it. Like, look at look at how they indoctrinate folks over there. And spoiler alert, China has a whole history of, of passing similar legislation that prohibits people from speaking about things such as Tiananmen Square uh, in particular ways. So like we are doing exactly what the right claims that they are fighting against, which is passing legislation that rewrites history and indoctrinates folks into one particular view of history, which is uh, obviously fascist, obviously dangerous. I will say my concern with this particular piece of legislation is the fact that reading the actual text of the bill, uh, something you said before we started recording, Jeff, like this is something that would fall apart, like under even the lightest like legal scrutiny. Like a lot of this stuff is just, you know, they have, you know, when you look at the the section that has the bullet points about what you're not allowed to do, uh, for example, the teach, uh, you're not allowed to, there's a bullet point that says um, the teaching, well, it says no race is inherently superior to another race. Yeah, teachers, we, we don't, like I have yet to encounter a teacher, a quality teacher who is teaching that one race is inherently superior or inferior to another race. Like the whole premise of something like critical race theory, the whole premise of it is that race is a social construct. There's no inherent biological superiority, inferiority between uh, what we consider to be race. 
Therefore, we have to do what we can to dismantle the legacies of systemic racism and all the different ways that race has been used in such a way as to uh, grant more or less power to particular groups. So like something like that, I'm like, no one even does that. Like a lot of the stuff that's mentioned literally doesn't happen, but that doesn't matter, of course. It doesn't matter, of course, that if they go after a teacher or a district and take it to court, a lot of the stuff will fall apart because the vagaries and just a lot of the stuff just isn't, it, it just doesn't hold up in reality, but that doesn't matter because of course the goal is to bully teachers, intimidate teachers and school districts and, and whoever into just like staying, like not even touching, not even touching the critical stuff. So that's one goal. And another goal is probably to like, just go ahead and flood the court system with lawsuits, with attacks on this district, that district, this teacher, that teacher, to the point where the school system can't even like address and sustain itself to the point where things become so clogged up that that just helps with the dissolution of public education as we know it. Because of course, these are folks who don't believe in robust, universal public education for everybody. They want to see these tax dollars, these uh, government funds being spent on private schools, being spent on charter schools that, particular charter schools that um, teach a certain method of of uh, white supremacist curriculum. They want to see the standard school system fall apart so that they could push in their agendas to obviously use the calamity of the public school system to push for school choice and to push for taxpayer funds going to religious schools and independent schools and what have you. So it doesn't really matter probably that it wouldn't stand up for legal scrutiny. And also, in addition to all that, I'm just sitting here thinking about how obviously as a history teacher, as a teacher who also teaches ethnic studies this year and government and economics, like, and as somebody who's experienced the school system, as, as we all have, this theoretically would open the doors to a whole, whole swath of folks from historically marginalized and oppressed communities taking it to courts, taking it to the school system. Because I, in my memory, like there's so many things that I didn't get to learn in the school system. So many times that I felt some either, what what verbiage did they use? It said, um, should not be made to feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress. I felt plenty of that in the whitewashed versions of history that I was taught in school. So, I mean, to me, like emotional distress for a young black student could be, I'm learning about the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson, but my teacher didn't say anything about Sally Hemings. My teacher didn't say anything about this 14-year-old girl who was forced into sexual activity with uh, Thomas Jefferson, who raped her and ended up having fathering six kids by her. Like my teacher didn't mention any of that. And if I'm a, if I'm a young girl in the school system, if I'm a student of color in the school system, and I'm being taught that this man is a hero, but they're not even mentioning that stuff, well, now I'm feeling distressed because how am I supposed to feel about his words when he was doing this to somebody who I could identify with? If I'm a Pacific Islander student, I'm in class and we're learning about the Cold War and we're learning about uh, nuclear arms and the arms race, and they don't say anything about the impact that these atomic weapons, uh, these nuclear weapons tests had on my people, on my uh, folks in the Marshall Islands, and they don't say anything about the radiation, anything about these weapons of mass destruction being exploded on the lands and waters of, of Pacific Islanders. Like, how am I supposed to feel when we're, when my teacher is teaching about American exceptionalism and our advanced technology and all this stuff, but they're not talking about the, the toll that it had on my people? Like, there's so many, I could go obviously on and on and on and on about examples of ways that teaching totally, totally either erases, marginalizes, or uh, minimizes the experiences of particularly folks of color, but uh, marginalized groups even broader than that. And that could all, those could all be lawsuits and we could all take it to court. But I don't think the authors of this bill care about that possibility <laughs> because Definitely for one, not. I mean, for one, like, you know, take it to court, but how, how much trust do we have in the court system to, to stand up for and defend uh, marginalized folks, especially marginalized young folks, but also they're fine with that because like clog up the court system, make this such a calamity that again, schools don't even have the funds to even fight all these battles and schools continue to continue to like struggle to even survive. Like I think they're good with either outcome, either the outcome of schools and teachers being too afraid to even dip into anything that's remotely critical 
So they're, they're fine with that outcome or the outcome of, okay, now all these other folks are taking it to the courts because their kid is feeling distress. And now these, these schools can't even like support themselves. They can't even like withstand all this. I think they're good with that outcome too. And that's the scary part. So man, it's, it's, it's really whack. Uh, shout out to the Associated Press for their, their headline because even though the bill itself doesn't specifically say that they are trying to shield white students particularly, uh, the AP News headline is Florida could shield whites from discomfort of racist past. Like they just state it plainly and out loud because that obviously is the goal of this. Um, Vanity Fair, their headline, Florida advances bill that would ban making white people feel bad about racism. And no, that's not a joke. Like I'm glad they're being upfront with it because other folks like CNN, their, their headline is Florida bill to shield people from feeling discomfort over historic actions by their race. Like that that's that neutral wording, that neutral stuff that, that sounds like, yeah, nobody should feel discomfort because they're raced. I'm good with that. So shout out to Vanity Fair, Associated Press, and other folks who are telling it plainly like it is because this is a, it's whackness, man. It's whack. I don't, yeah. I have a lot of other words I could use, but, you know, family-friendly podcast is it's whack. Yeah, it's whack. It is, uh, I, I would, I would say maybe more like technically, th- this is what oppression looks like from the state, right? Like this is, I think this is a part of a campaign of psychological warfare against uh, the the people more broadly, but specifically uh, in a very uh, like overtly suppressive, oppressive way, uh, communities of color, uh, specifically uh, black folks, indigenous folks, you know, um, Latinx folks uh, and Asian American folks to erase us from the you know the telling of history and to re- and to replace that telling of an honest history with a, a white glorification history right now there's yeah. a perverse sort of uh, psychological warfare that this is waging against white people which is to teach them lies and manipulations and myth truths and you know to sort of reground the next generation in their unearned privilege and to do to garner their you know sort of manufactured consent uh, with with that social order, right? Um, and and you know, see seeing the ways in which younger folks in this country, generally speaking, are are more liberal, progressive, radical than older folks, but also uh, younger white people today are certainly like the best version of white folks that we <laughs> we've had in this country to date, uh, and they don't like that, right? Um, to to your point though, Manuel, about uh, you know about this, the way the law is written. And the potential for it to just sort of fall apart with legal scrutiny. I actually think at this point, you know, I'm not an attorney, of course, but my sense is that we are. So these are Jim Crow style laws. And I think to some extent we're going to have to go back to one of the early Jim Crow legal strategies in fighting this. Right. Which is, uh, you know, okay, so things have to be separate but equal. Let's attack the fact that they're not equal, right? And let's raise the cost of segregation to the point that, you know, states are going to have to say, okay, we'll admit some black people into the law school because we can't build another law school or whatever, right? Um, right. I think we're going to have to do something akin to that, right? So, for example, the, the legislation, one of the, one of the more, uh, you know, sort of uh, perverse <laughs> um aspects of it is this line that says right after it says you may not use the 1619 project (laughs) it says and uh, you may not define american history as something other than the creation of a new nation based largely on universal principles stated in the declaration of independence now that's a fascinating sentence because there there's actually an argument to be made that the declaration of independence is among the more instructive historical primary source artifacts that gives just tremendous insight into the all of the things that the 1619 project is very uh, in a very scholarly well-researched way is actually writing about right so let's start with the declaration of independence right who's the author thomas jefferson owned over 600 slaves in his lifetime including many that he raped and you know his descendants are still alive today right um so are we going to talk about that? We're going to talk about the author and the author's purpose and the author's life and bias, right? Um, 
also buried in the Declaration of Independence, which many people, you know, especially the most patriotic among us, haven't actually read, um, is so folks know about like you know the the beginning, the opening to the Declaration of Independence, right? When in the course of human events it becomes necessary, right? And folks love that first paragraph because it's you know life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and yay America. But it then goes on to list, like, I don't know how many, I'd, I'd have to go back and count them, but, you know, maybe like 30 or 40 grievances against <laughs> the British uh, monarchy. Um, the last of which is, and let me quote for you, he has excited domestic insurrections among us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. Now, let's put aside for just one second the, the great historical irony of talking about the known rule of warfare of indigenous folks in this country is killing all, you know, men, women, and children type of, type of vibe, when that is literally projection of what we were doing to them. Uh, we being the colonizers, I guess I probably shouldn't say we in that sense, but we is in what became the United States of America. Um, but there, there's also some code language in there about, you know, what were these domestic insurrections, right? Um, what, what was the relationship between slaves in this country, the British government attempting to maintain its colonial control, and the colonial rebels attempting to overthrow, you know, the British, right? And so this is actually embedded in the document that America is a pro-slavery pro society, that was in the active work of suppressing efforts by Africans to liberate themselves, that was engaged in ongoing colonial uh, you know, domination, rape, pillaging, destruction of the indigenous inhabitants here. There's no way to honestly teach this document and not teach that history. So there, there is grounds to say, okay, we'll take your law and we are going to say you're causing psychological harm by not actually teaching the truth uh, about these things, right? Now, that's, that's like legally clever. I would love us, I would love to see us actually challenge it in that way. And we all know that like this law is not written for us, right? Like this, this law, and, and as you said, credit to those uh, institutions that published the uh, accurate reading of this, this is a pro-white supremacy law. This is a white supremacist mythology curriculum law. And they know they have a legal architecture around it that's going to interpret the law as such and protect the law as such. And so we're in a bit of a pickle with it, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, you know, throw throw some matches on the fire and hope <laughs> hope this mess just burns down, right? Uh, because it is, I mean, this is this is this is bad, right? This is real, real bad. Yeah, and I mean, what you just pointed out there, I think that's that's where the slipperiness of this law like has some power because what you just said is true about the Declaration of Independence, and this bill says a new nation based largely on. So I think from the perspective of a DeSantis, they will say, yeah, that's in there, but we're talking about what it's based largely on. So it's based largely on the other stuff, you know, all the fluff, all men are created equal, this, that, whatever, whatever. So I think that's mm. that's sort of the wiggle room that, that um, you know, uh, I'm just thinking teachers are obviously so already overwhelmed by all of the things. So how many teachers are gonna be willing to go ahead and, take on this like narrow path towards like, I think, you know, I think this right here, based, based on the letter of how this is written, this right here should be good to see what happens when we live in a world where parents are storming school boards and public, uh, publishing teachers info on, on Facebook and all that stuff. Like you're putting yourself up against like a lot of just really dangerous folks off of some like, I think based on how this is written, I could get away with this. What can you say? like? You yourself, Jeff, I, I know for a fact are like obviously uh, smart enough and confident enough to like take that type of challenge. I think most teachers out there, especially those who are like, I'm thinking like uh, teachers who are at the elementary level and have multiple subjects and they only touch on a little bit of social studies. Like, why am I even going to risk it when these crazy people are out here looking for any little, any little bit of, of evidence that I'm indoctrinating kids? That plus 
just again, I think they also just don't care if there is, you know, if this legislation has a pathway for us to like really use it to the uh, effect of like defending honest history and defending truthful teaching of history because like they don't care, just clog up the legal system, intimidate, bully. We know that bullying and, and intimidation is like strategy number one for all these folks who are behind these uh, this legislation, like bullying and intimidation, uh, and that doesn't really care about particular uh, details. It's more about just like, we will scream louder than you, we will have more angry folks show up at the school board than you will have in support of you, and is that really the life you want to live, teacher who's already underpaid and overworked, or district that's already under-resourced and overwhelmed, you know? So, yeah, so, so to me, that's the danger. I think you're, yeah, obviously, you're you're like, obviously correct if we want to use we could just use the founding documents like just we could honestly teach an entire course simply based on analysis of the constitution and the declaration of independence and that alone will unearth like mountains and mountains of evidence of the systemic and foundational role of uh white supremacy in in this nation but it's not really about facts jeff it's not really about yeah. facts yeah, that is, that is facts. <laughs> no, ironically. Um, yeah, you know, I, th I think you're right, man. And there is, I guess there's a part of me, Manuel, that just says, like, okay, what, what we're engaged in here is really a, a type of, is, is a conflict, right? Like is a, I hate to use this word, but, like, is a war for sort of the soul of public education in this country. And a, uh, you know, a battle for the the sort of ground i guess of of like where what is the role of truth in education what is the role of honesty and integrity in in education and it's very clear from not only their history but also their present attempts at legislation that these folks have have no regard for truth and um you know integrity right they're like they're right. unwilling to take an honest look at history and grapple honestly with things and they're totally willing to project, demonize, you know, weaponize, vilify uh, those of us who, who do, right? And so I think we're, we're going to have to fight back because the alternative is, is not only extremely, you know, sort of damning for the future of public education, but has much larger ramifications, right? Like this gets to the like, are we going to be a country that is aspiring to be a democracy or are we going to be a country that is, uh, you know, just a white nationalist authoritarian state, right? And yeah. it's very clear what the Ron DeSantis and Manny Diaz's of, of the world uh, would like, right? Um, and we can't engage them as though that's not their ambition. Yeah, no, you are absolutely correct. And every time one of these stories pops up, because there's been a lot of them this past um, year or two, I think to myself, like, what's the point of even talking about it anymore? What's left to be said? Because this is just keeps going on. And who hasn't heard about this by now? But then at the same time, uh, you are correct. This is this is a, a really a conflict over. I don't I don't want to overstate it. Just like you uh, pointed out. Um, being careful not to overstate it, but yeah, this is really, really uh, a conflict over you know what version of the United States are we, past and present, and going into the future, and that is a battle that cannot be, or a conflict that we can't talk too much about, even because like every time one of these things pops up, like it's important to interrogate it, point it out, uh, obviously educate folks as to what's happening, and. Who knows, you know, who knows what this looks like in, in different locales. Like there might be somebody in some small district of some other state where maybe that state isn't doing anything like this, but maybe there's a new school board member who's heavily influenced by uh, by what DeSantis is doing in Florida. And, you know, it's important to be able to spot it wherever it might pop up uh, at the local level, state level, obviously, and organize against it. Because I think at the end of the day, as you pointed out when talking about this younger generation, I think at the end of the day, there are way more people, way more Americans who are in favor of and want an honest reckoning over 
over America's history and honest telling of America's history, then there are those who want to uphold the whitewashed version of it. I think, you know, we look, we're looking at California and looking at how the California Department of Education, the State Board of Education, the governor has has upheld the um, the value and importance of critical race theory itself and also just more generally uh, content and curriculum that helps speak to the experiences of marginalized communities. Like we are the most populous state in the United States by a lot, 40 million people here. So like it's important, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm talking to myself here. It's important to remember that all is not lost, that this seems and sounds overwhelming, but at the end of the day, the, the truth is, we are on the side of the truth and the truth is on our side. There are more people who are in support of uh, progressing towards a more honest reckoning than there are those who want to cover up and indoctrinate and um, shift towards more fascism. So I'm, I'm talking, I say I'm talking to myself when I say that because sometimes I need to hear that. I need to uh, remember that there is hope, remember that um, we've, had, we've had plenty of challenges and plenty of dark times throughout this, this road, this road that we're on here in these United States of America and the truth will, will prevail. Question mark. <laughs> I like I right, like Jeff. that addition at the end there. That was good. Good save, man. Good save. <laughs> um, so I mean, thankfully, we're not at the point where we have like I don't know troops and armed officers and all that like in the classroom, um, in the classroom with our students. So you know, at least it's not that bad. See, Jeff. Folks, Anything else before we get out see, of here, folks? What you have to recognize <laughs> is that's that's what we am amateurs in this field of media call. Uh, just a, a beautiful transition. Uh, <laughs> so you would think, Manuel, like, man, thank you. we were just reading the Declaration of Independence a moment ago, right? Which also talks about yeah. how, you know, the British uh, were quartering troops in, in their homes in times of peace and this sort of thing. Uh, so you, you would think, yeah. being so deeply grounded in our founding political documents, that we would just, like, cringe at the idea of soldiers uh you know quartered in our in our places of regular life and and business and whatnot um and manuel i am i'm <laughs> i'm happy to say that in more <laughs> oklahoma uh they don't have soldiers in the schools uh <laughs> this is more oklahoma uh a, a suburb of oklahoma city they don't have soldiers they have police officers, okay? So uh, in a tweet uh, over the last week, um, Moore PD, who is a proud community partner of Moore Public Schools, had several on-duty officers serving in the classroom as schools continue to face teacher and staff shortages. We're not going to say why they're facing teacher and staff shortages, like everybody's getting sick with COVID, but they just have shortages, okay? So uh, on the day that this tweet was posted, officers Stromsky and Lewis covered sixth grade classes at Apple Creek Elementary. Uh, additional officers were serving two other schools in the area. They're thankful to be able to assist our community Community during these difficult times. And then there's a lovely social media montage of pictures and portrait and landscape mode. It's just, it's artful. It's beautiful. Uh, with officers, full uniform, armed, four white dudes, uh, <laughs> standing in front of the classroom or sitting at the teacher's desk, uh, guns in tow, tasers in tow, Oh, actually, I can't officially see a taser. So we'll just say guns in tow, pepper spray in tow, uh, masks nowhere to be seen, except one young student who does appear to be chin strapping at the bottom, bottom right corner of this picture. So, you know, uh, half halfway, uh, you know, 60% for her, I guess, <laughs> or assuming it's a, a her <laughs> for that child. Um and, you know, it is it is just, I'm sorry, Manuel, it's just like deeply cringeworthy, right? That we're seeing this yeah. like cops teaching school, like the, this is the kind of thing where like if a Hollywood screenwriter was like, I got it, we're going to make this movie and like, they're just going to have the cops teach school instead of the teachers, you'd be like, okay, like. Come on, man! It's like a little ridiculous, right? It's a little yeah. on the nose. <laughs> like, let's bit, let's give that bit. a rewrite. Uh, but no, here we are, more Oklahoma. Let's just have the cops teach school uh, with their guns. You know, instead of arming the teachers, Manuel, let's just bring the cops in, and then they can just have the guns, and they can be the good guy with the gun already there, waiting for the next 
mass shooting. See, it's it's it actually it's brilliant in that way. And it also speaks to why we can't defund the police, Jeff, because we those funds would be better taken from the education system because who is going who are we going to pay to fill in for teachers who are underpaid and not able to uh, remain staffed? We got to make sure the police are fully funded so they could be in these classrooms, multiple police officers with weapons and no masks because um, who else is going to do it, Jeff? Yeah. Who else is going to be brave enough to go into that classroom and teach teach proud American history? Well, you know who will? Uh, the National Guard in the state of New Mexico. Damn it. <laughs> okay. So New Mexico is, is the first state in the nation to ask National Guard troops to serve as substitute teachers. Uh, as preschools and K-12 public schools struggle to keep classrooms open amid surging COVID-19 infections. This coming to us from the Los Angeles Times uh, <laughs> on Thursday of this week with just a wonderful picture of New Mexico Governor uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham announcing uh, this policy with a, you know, set of soldiers standing at attention, arms behind their back, combat boots at the ready. They are masked, so props to them, I guess. Uh, but I mean, come on, Manuel. Like, for real, we got like yeah. troops teaching school and cops teaching school. WTF, dude. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Yeah, man. I don't know what to say. Besides, that is a very, very, let's go with unfortunate. Dim, um, uh, slightly unsurprising um, picture of where we're at right now as a nation. Yeah, yeah, that's super whack. And you know, I know there's a lot of teachers who are listening, classroom teachers who are listening, who have questioned or are continuing to question or are currently questioning their future in their profession, given how difficult it is on during the, the quote unquote normal times and yet let alone uh, pandemic times, um, political attack times. So, you know, I know there's a lot of folks questioning their present and their future in the profession. And this sadly probably won't be the last of, of these types of things that we see as like police and armed guards and whatever are, are leaned on to help fill the vacancies and the shortages left by folks who are beat down by the system. This system really, man, it it beats students down in a major way, and it also just beats down teachers, especially those honest, good teachers, like hardworking teachers who are incredibly passionate about uplifting their young ones. And man, this system, man, it'll chew you up and spit you out. That is a pessimistic way to end this. I don't want to end this on pessimism like that, Jeff, but that's, man, uh, yeah. Give me something hopeful, Jeff. Give me something positive. Well, you know, I mean, where there's people, there's hope, right? So, um, indeed. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do believe that. I find myself in my uh, in my middle age uh, becoming, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but like a, pra a pragmatic, realistic uh, type of person. And um, you know, these these are this is like a dark era of human history that we're living through right now. I think that's just like a fair, objective statement, right? Um, yeah. And we are also living at a time when we have incredible tools for organizing, incredible tools for communication, incredible incredible Indeed. ability to uh, to connect with and humanize other people in ways that historically was was perhaps much more difficult. And so in as much as the oppressive forces around us have better tools too, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we got billions of us who are, uh, you know, who are people that are, are just not being served well by the current order of things. And in our more immediate context, you know, here just in the United States or just, you know, even in California, uh, you know, we, we have, we got people which is why they're so afraid of us, right? Which is why they're trying to strip voting rights, which is why they want to, you know, enshrine white supremacist curriculum because you can't teach people to think. <laughs> Otherwise, they become dangerous, yeah. right? Um, so, you know, their, their desperation is, in as much as it's deeply troubling and harmful to us, is also revealing the power that, uh, that we have as, as masses of people. So hopefully we can 
keep that in mind as well. Boom, there you go. See, that's, see, I appreciate that. I appreciate that big time. And also one reason why I remain in the classroom is because of course the youth have proven time and time again to be better than the adults and give me a ton of hope. Just yesterday um, in one class at the end, as you know, the bell was about to ring, there was one student of mine who was like not even paying attention to the fact that class was about to be dismissed because she was like deep into her uh, own copy of the 1619 project, the book um, version mm. that she's just reading on her own, nice. like not not tied to any class. She just had a copy of her own and she's got notes all written up, all up in it and all that stuff. And in another period yesterday, a student of mine was was heavily digging into All Boys Aren't Blue, which is another text that has been banned from several libraries and state curriculums and this and that. And he was he was deep into that book, although he does not identify as a, a young queer man of color. He like he is like looking to be an ally and he was deep into that and that wasn't attached to any class. Like I asked him about it, I was, you know, and it's not attached to his any class or anything like that. Just his own his own um path towards learning and 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 understanding other perspectives. So yeah, man, the youth are better than us, man. No matter what bills come out from Dusty DeSantis or anything like that, man, the young people, man, they ain't, psh, come on now. They're, they will not be stopped. They will not be, they will not be intimidated. Not these, not these young folks. So, so there is that. All right. Jeff, I, I believe that's it for today. I believe that's it for this passing period. Um, anything else before we get out of here? No, man, I think we, I think we covered it. I think uh, it was a good conversation. Um, now it's time to go uh, enjoy the weekend. Uh, you know, watch some watch some playoff football, and uh, enjoy some some sunny weather. Yeah, especially since our official NFL team of the AOTA oh show, uh, San Francisco 49ers. I, open, I opened the box. People. <laughs> <laughs> our 49ers are out there. You know what I'm saying? By the time you're listening to this, listener, they might they might already be out of it. Um, or they could be on to the next round. But anyways, you know, good vibes, good vibes. And uh, and that about does it for, for this week's passing period. So we will we will be back next week with either a full episode or another passing period. Uh, I believe it might be another passing period. But we got uh, some super dope guests on deck. So they will be coming soon. So we will check you all next time. And for now, it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.